Hello and welcome to the Origen Podcast. My name is Pablo Aslan, and in episode one, I speak with Arturo O'Farrell, one of the founding members and main instigators of the Origen Collective, a diverse group of Latino music makers based in New York City that came together to explore and present new combinations of Latin American roots music, jazz, and technology. This interview is a companion to the concert series the Origen Collective is producing online. The series starts on April 30th at 9 p.m. and continues on Thursdays at 9 p.m. until June on Facebook Live and selected online platforms. The members of the collective are well-known musicians in the Latin music world and beyond. Lara Bello, Rogerio Bocato, Alexis Cuadrado, Fernando Gonzalez, Juancho Herrera, Arturo Ofero, Sofia Rey, Antonio Sanchez, Cavita Shah, Samuel Torres, Papo Vasquez, Miguel Sinon, and yours truly, Pablo Aslan. The online concert series begins on April 30th at 9 p.m. with a performance by Arturo O'Farrell and continues on May 7th. We hope you will join us starting on Thursday, April 30th, and also that you will subscribe to this podcast to get insights into the work of each participating artist. And I get to talk to all of them about their current situation, the impact on their music and their work, what ideas they're exploring for the future, how they're preparing for change, and what in music and in musicians will remain the same. And we'll listen to music. Arturo O'Farrell's work as pianist, band leader, arranger, composer, and producer has gotten lots of attention and accolades. He is a musical and personal force in pan-Latin music and a great man and an old friend. We spoke about the origins and purpose of the origen, or origin if you prefer, collective, and explore some of the musical and philosophical issues confronting musicians today. Revolutions happen inside us when we wake up and say, I have to begin a different way to attack the problems that beset me on every side. I have to create a different me to change the way that my life plays out. I have to demand better of myself and of those around me so that we care about the way life is for one another. But before we talk to Arturo at length, I wanted to bring you a deep track from Arturo's vast discography, the opening track to one of his first Zoho music recordings, Live in Brooklyn, from 2005, with Andy Gonzalez on bass and Daphne Prieto on drums. Here is Andy Gonzalez's composition, Vieques.
And now let's go to my talk with Arturo O'Farrell. We started our conversation by talking about the origins of origen. I think the idea behind origen is something that I've played with uh, since uh, my days of uh, at as a resident uh, ensemble director at Lincoln Center. Um, 
when I was asked by Wynton Marsalis, uh, who very graciously and generously offered me the opportunity to create an ensemble called uh, the Afroland Jazz Orchestra. Um, and kudos to Wynton for being uh, courageous enough to realize that uh, the music we play is not generic. It requires a specialization and an acculturation. And so uh, when he asked me to do this, I was very, very moved. But what I learned over the years is that I don't want to be the source of information. I don't want to be a spokesperson for information. I don't believe that I know anything about this infinite uh, field. I mean, I know what I know, but it's so vast and so unbelievably rich. There's 200 variants of bomba rhythm in Puerto mm. Rico. 200 variants of one rhythm in one tiny island nation. You understand? So, oh, yeah. so for me, I've always uh, yearned for the idea that you can also go to my politics, by the way. <laughs> so mm -hmm. there's that. I've always yearned for the, the idea that you could bring a group of people together, uh, vest them equally, with uh, an opinion and a voice and the power to affect change and come up with something that's radically different if there's one voice speaking for everyone or deciding what we see, what we watch, what we hear. So when you, you are actually the protagonist for all of this because you noticed uh, that one day about a year ago, uh, announcements went out for all the major festivals that were taking place in New York, uh, Jazz Ahead or Connect or what they call oh, they call it Jazz Congress, lamentably enough. Right. <laughs> right. As if Congress is a, something to hold up to as a standard for right. unity. And um, so Jazz Congress, uh, Jazz Connect, Jazz Ahead, uh, Vision Fest, Winter Fest. Uh, there's a, 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 a cornucopia of festivals that are announced, and uh, and we realized you realized that uh, there was little or no authentic uh, representation of people from South America, Central America, the Caribbean, uh, indigenous sounds, people from uh, Spain and Portugal, and so. I said, well, yeah, let's do it. Let's put together a group of people who represent all these fears, invest them equally with a voice and the ability to make decisions and inform us, and let's create a festival that uh, is, uh, is representative of who we really are since no one else will give us that opportunity. And what I found was that I was able to gather uh, around us a group of Incredible conspirators. Let's call them co-conspirators. Mm -hmm. uh, people uh, like uh, Sofia Ray, Pablo Aslan, Cavita uh, Shah, Alexis Cuadrado, Samuel Torres, Sanchez, uh, Papo Vasquez, Miguel Zanon, Rogerio Bocato. Um, Lara I'm Bello. sure Lara Bello. Mm -hmm. I mean, people who are extraordinary artists. Extraordinary. People who are uh, Grammy winners, MacArthur winners, people who are uh, uh, senior faculty in prestigious uh, appointments throughout the nation and throughout the world. And, and, and that we all came together in humility 
and in honesty to fight, to lograr, to, to create this, this, realize this idea that there is, there is something that we can do that states more about our authenticity in this. Uh, and certainly, in addition to being able to create a festival that no one is creating for us or even giving us equal representation in, um, to ensure that the the people who are creators of this music are putting their stamp of authenticity on it. I think that's really important. Mm. Um, you know, very often when we do get uh, an appearance at a festival or the one concert out of a season, uh, it's it's quite frankly very dictated by a very specific aesthetic values. It doesn't represent uh, the fullness of the experience that we have as being, uh, I don't know what you call it, Latino, Hispanic, whatever you want. Whatever it is, it's an identity that we believe has now been coalesced under the idea of origen. Yeah, we, we spent a lot of time on on, on the on some of this terminology. Iberio Ibero-American was the most technically correct term that we came up with, but it's a little bit too much. Um, so, okay, so, I, yeah, I remember that moment, Arturo. That was incredible because it was noticeable when those schedules started coming out that we had now representation as an aesthetic and as a as a, as a culture, and, and somehow that... Um, that bothered me, and I, I aired my my uh, my grievance publicly, and and I, I called for a meeting to do something about it because it, I, I felt like we needed to do something about it, not anybody else. And immediately, you you came. Um, in fact, you came to my house immediately, uh, and um, it's, I think it's the first time you came to my house because there was an urgency to to your response as well, and and drew this idea in the back of a napkin. And we started calling people to create what what we've called the curatorial committee. So that the idea was to to uh, help us identify uh, people in our own aesthetic, even if we didn't have a name for it. It was, we, we we were clear that we were not Latin jazz. That that was a little restrictive, and we had all kinds of debates over that. And we and you know we became little by little what what is coming out now as 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 origin collective. Even the name origin or origin was was subject of a lot of thinking and and um, a lot of heart going into that. But I think that what has united all of us is that we're all accustomed to walking the walk, um, to not necessarily asking for handouts or 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 just complaining because we don't have the space. But we're we're about creating the space and representing ourselves. I know what you mean about. That slot in the concert series where we're nothing but a stereotype. I've been I've been part of that uh, uh, circuit for a while, and and I feel like, uh, on the other hand, I've I, you know we've all earned the respect to present what we think is the right thing, and not just um, bring the the stereotypes, um, you know, once once again. Um, so I, I want to fast forward to, to what's been going on now uh, since the lockup and how we're here. We, we, we had our heads in, in something that would happen physically in, in the future. And, and all of a sudden we came to the realization that something needed to happen now and it needed to happen from our lockdowns. Now, there was no, no time to waste. So, so you want to you wanna tell us a little bit of how you live this process that brings us to having this podcast as our voice and having a concert series that's starting at the same time and what 
what do you see us uh, um, trying to do with this? Well, the collective original purpose of the collective was to present a three-day festival that would represent all the varied uh, aesthetics that we bring to the table. But it's become bigger. Uh, it's become bigger to me. Um, I like the analogy of being invited to a table that we've always been at anyway. I like the idea that there's a banquet that we've been providing a tremendous amount of sustenance for this nation, but we have never been fully invited to participate. And I think that that's over. And one of the things this pandemic has shown us is that the, the tr structures of power still favor corporate America, safe sex, arts programming, and that uh, we can play that for a while, I guess. But in a way, one of the things that's happening with this pandemic is we're seeing that it, uh, a disproportionate number of, of, of African-American and uh, Hispanics are being affected because of the natural socioeconomic strata along which we fall. Um, not to make things political, but that's very redolent of what has happened to us in the cultural picture. We've also been relegated to a third and fourth year status in every single institution of performing arts in this nation. Mm. And so this became very, very real to me as I watched the pandemic and its effect on neighborhoods from Brooklyn to, uh, you know, other places where there are a disproportionate number of economic strategy. And so I look upon this opportunity as a chance to come now because the moment is now to start to share the vision for what will be the actual later and fully realized aesthetic of the collective. We don't have to wait for the physical more brick presence to articulate this dream. We were going to just because we had the contrivances in place. But now we don't know whether we will have them six, three, four, five, who knows, year, year and a half from now. We don't know that. And so what better time to think differently, to state who we are when everything is up in the air, right. when things no one knows what's going to happen, and for people who are thinking differently about both politics, uh, social order, socioeconomic distribution, cultural distribution of socioeconomic power, for people who think different, this is the moment to speak up. This mm -hmm. is the moment to search yourself and say, no, 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 no. We're not going back to business as usual. In fact, it's very interesting because people are going about when, when things will normalize. I don't know about you, but I don't want them to normalize. Back to I don't want to go the old, back. The old normal, yeah, right. I don't want them to go back to the days where uh, just a select few had the cultural uh, megaphone. I don't want to normalize the day where uh, uh, corporate America gouged the rest of the nation for profit. I don't want to go back to that. I don't want to go back to an era where uh, universal health care is, is a fantasy and that people who uh, have to choose between medicine and feeding their families is happening today around the corner from your block. I don't want to go back to that. I want to go back to a, uh, an era when a puppet president can stand in front of a nation and at, seriously advocate poisoning their bloodstreams and and, 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 and and advocate without any basis of knowledge things that will actually prolong the medical crisis 
spacing. Uh, this is done because everything that I think all the all, all of the structures of power in the United Nations in the United sorry in the United States are built along profit, and I don't want to go back to that. I'm hoping this moment in history will reveal the nakedness of the emperor and his minions. You know, I can't I can't look forward to a day when, based on the president's rhetoric, a human being can go into a Walmart parking lot in El Paso, Texas, and kill my people. That's not normality. That's an aberration from the pit of hell. And I don't want to go back to that. And I think this is a moment in history when people who are thinking differently, like our colleagues in Odihan, and uh, people of like mind and, and high personal character are going to say, no more, basta, yeah. We, we need a difference in the way we present information. We need a difference in the way we present the arts. We need a difference in the way we distribute uh, medical help, medical uh, care. So you see this as a big revolutionary moment in a way. I um, don't see Americans uh, throwing garbage cans through bank windows yet. But if the... <laughs> well, that's not, that's not all the ingredients in a revolution, but okay. I know, I know. But you know what, I'm being facetious because uh, you can actually get attacked for words like that. But, but what I do see is this moment is pointing out some extraordinary failures on the part of our federal, national, and state government. New York City is buoyed, if you will, is upheld by a battery, a legion of freelance arts performers and associated uh, industries. If it weren't for uh, the people who populate the stages of our city, uh, it would not be the great cultural and business center that it is. But right now, even as we speak, I have musicians telling me that they have no clue, and dancers, and singers, and waiters, and waitresses, and bartenders telling me they don't know how they're going to pay their rent, right. they don't know how they're going to pay their phone bill that right now i mean and the way that the arts funding has trickled down it's very difficult to find a linear entry point into a secure aid pack aid structure some people are ready-made for that some people are not some people don't have illustrious careers in a specific genre or field and so they don't but they're freelance makers nonetheless so i think the first place that we need to address is how do we deal with on a representational level the idea that so many of us have been forgotten in the economy of New York City let alone New York State let alone the United States we we are people of good will we work hard we go out of we out get in our our, our our subways or our vehicles and travel somewhere to play for four hours that's how we make a living. Right. And then, of course, those opportunities are gone, and the entry point into aid and funding, like the stimulus check debacle. I ain't seen no stimulus checks yet. <laughs> no, very few people have, and the ones that are hit hardest are the ones who are freelancers. You know, 
and so it, it is it is time for an organization like Audihan. It is time for us to do and you talk about a revolution. Revolutions don't have to be counter anything. Mm -hmm. They we're not I'm not this contra institutionalization or contra United Revolutions happen inside us. When we wake up and say, I have to begin a different way to attack problems that beset me on every side. I have to create a different me to change the way that my life plays out. I have to demand better of myself and of those around me so that we care about the way life is for one another. That can happen on your block, by the way. <laughs> well, I was, I was thinking it's a fundamental thing for me in my life as, as, as an immigrant to the U.S. because for me... At age 18, when I left home, it was about that. It was about creating my own reality and my own identity and fighting for my own space. I, I was, um, you know, I grew up in Argentina, and at the time, it was it, we were ruled by military government. So there was a co coercion to everything in, in, in society, and so I was able to... to um, create a, a, a different reality and I came here not not by accident you know a lot of us who who advocate for for any sort of revolutionary change uh, uh, you know we're immediately associated with other parts of the world and ask why we didn't we go there but I think that the ideals um, that this country is is founded on on in individual liberties um, are just a, as important as the collective liberty so we're trying to work a balance where we're all um, doing our individual bit, but it's always, you know, with a collective goal in mind. So it's 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 a, a different thing than a top-down collective. It's, it comes from from our own individual power, and I think we're we're living that in in, in origen uh, because there's so many of us have so many so much experience and so many ideas and and so many things to bring to the table that it was never a question of having a program that then we all have to march according to that mandate but but generating it among ourselves and 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 have this fluctuation of ideas and this you know i mean the last couple of weeks for us have been all action and we've seen how we you know we've bumped heads and 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 and, and things but but it's all done with a much higher goal in mind and i i think that that's one of the attributes of the of the society that we have here that that this this idea that we can harness our individual forces and still have uh, social responsibility. I mean, let's face it, real democracy is a messy business. But I don't care what you think. It works better than corporocracy, oligarchy. It works better than, than, than society that is built to favor a select few, whether they're uh, socialists, communists, uh, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. The, the, all what really matters is the idea that when you get a group of people together, you're going to have disagreement. But somehow the social contract says that you agree to certain standards by which you are going to relent, by which you are going to give up some of your rights and liberties so that the greater majority can have a modicum of comfort, security, and freedom. And the, the problem, of course, is that, that that's not how this is working. Uh, I, I was raised, I'm an immigrant too, and I came to this nation and went to PS 166 on 88, 88th Street between 
Amsterdam and was taught to say pledge allegiance to the flag. Mm. And then I went and learned about the supposed history of the United States. And then I went to college and read a book called Gender Studies and Equality in the United States. And I learned that we're a deeply classist society and that we are deeply divided along socioeconomic lines. And then I started seeing the effects of a military-style presence in Sakati Park, hmm. the uh, indiscriminate gunning down of young black and Hispanic men by an over-militarized police force. We're not blaming them. We're saying that society has some endemic illnesses, and it's time for... And I really believe this, by the way. It's time for artists to be the voice. It's time for us to pick up the man of Charles Mingus and Fables of Faubus. Mm. It's, just, it's up to us to pick up the mantle of Billie Holiday and Singing Strange Fruit or Louis Armstrong saying, uh, uh, you know, why do I have to be so black and blue? I mean, real art, whether it's from Chile or Louisiana or for that matter, anywhere, but real art challenges us to be better human beings. And I think the example set by a collective of artists is going to resonate for the world, at least for the arts world, at least for the presentation of music world. And I hope it does. I hope that people understand that one artistic director, one artistic voice doesn't, doesn't play anymore. It's time to let that shit go. Yeah, we, uh, you know, you were talking about going back to normal, and one of the things that I'm that I'm seeing is that, first of all, normal wasn't working out really well for us as musicians, um, and and we we've been chasing, you know, uh, for the last few years um, as the as the business has changed so much, this idea that we have to work on our brand and that our 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 presentation or our ego are are the most uh, valuable thing that we have and. And I see it reflected in, in a way in what we're doing now um, with our communication and, and what we're trying to communicate. And I, once we get got started with with this idea of, of presenting a, a concert series, which a lot of people are doing, it got me to think as to you know what what's the essence of what we do. I mean, do I am I auditioning for some contractor when I play my streamed concert, or am I am I just trying to impress somebody who I hope will hire me, or am I trying to get views so i can monetize them or 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 am i trying to give people a good time am, am i trying to connect with something emotional in, in 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 the music and and putting it across and and that thought really just sort of gave me the perspective of how to approach this and it's like if i can have that moment that you have in an auditorium or in a club where you just feel everybody's feedback and and you feel like all the time and heart that you put into your music is is just uh, uh bringing everybody together and it's, it's you're creating these moments and you're in these moments that sometimes are bigger than you even as a performer um how do we translate that into into this virtual world that we're all living in and and you know there's something that doesn't scare me about it and that we as music lovers uh, we're used to this. We we bought LPs when we were young and and got our music from there. Some of us got our life inspiration from just hearing these these black circular things uh, that that you put a needle to it and somehow it connected you to Charles Mingus in in Englewood, New Jersey, <laughs> recording. Um, 
how how do you feel and you've already been doing a, a lot of virtual things how how are you approaching is there anything that makes it different now than that you you won't be at birdland tonight but you'll be at uh, virtual birdland for instance or you you'll be presenting uh, the concert for the origen series what has anything changed in your connection with with uh, with this uh, new virtual world that that feels um, different because the fact that we're locked down um, I think that on some level, it's easy to go to 44th Street and 8th Avenue and have a very disconnected experience uh, getting up on stage and doing what is expected of you in a very, um, in a very uh, rigid and controlled manner because that's the nature of performance. Performance is that we go up and we do this, they watch, we leave. Boom, right? It's really different. First of all, Birdland's not a nightclub. It's a campfire. Mm -hmm. And if we see it as a gig and not a place that people come for healing, we make it a huge mistake. Um, I can't even begin, man. It's humbling, to, heartbreaking to hear some of the things that people have come up to me after a gig at Birdland. And so a lady comes up to me and says, we've been married we're celebrating our 40th anniversary and we spent the last 20 here at Birdland watching you. Mm. Or I just lost my home to Hurricane Sandy and my sister died and I never thought I'd smile again. And you and your musicians have brought joy into my life. And what this stuff happens all the time. And then you realize that this is not, this is not a nightclub. This is a campfire. Some people will use it as an, as, as, as a place to, play their wares and some place some people would use it as a place to but I think final analysis the reason Birdland for us is because it's a family it's a community it's a group of musicians who've been doing the same thing in the same place for 25 years is it a huge paycheck no is it the height of fame and fortune no it is a family that is taking care of an extended family. That's it. And to me, like I remember saying years ago, something that has stuck with me my whole life, that the goal play music you love with people you love, for people you love. And if you want to get in front of audiences for any other reason, whether it's in front of a computer screen or on stage at Carnegie Hall, if the basic purpose of it isn't that, then this disconnect somewhere. Mm -hmm. So you said something really interesting. People are getting on, do we get online to get likes? Do we get online to, to uh, no, this is a f very different experience. But something miraculous happened. The first virtual Birdland that we did we had no clue what we were doing. We're talking about frame rates and logic versus Ableton and who has interfaces, who doesn't, who has what kind of microphone. And it literally took us five days of very, very concentrated work to pull off 35 minutes worth of music including editing and video editing and recording and 
a lot of people looked at me and said, this is crazy. It's, it's just nuts. It's not going to work. You know, there were uneven edges to the performance, but something, nothing short of miraculous happened that I was hoping would. The vibe of the band came through. The vibe and the commitment that my musicians have made to each other and to that setting somehow transmitted through that experience. I'm a witness. So yeah. You couldn't you couldn't you couldn't capture that if you tried. But somehow the vibe showed up. The vibe showed up and people I mean you know, when I heard this thing I saw the final product. I don't have any shame in telling you that both Bam Bam Rodriguez and I were in tears mm. because it felt like we were, not because we were on some magical platform in which we got 48 likes or 48,000 likes, but because we were connecting with the essence. each yeah. other yeah. and the people that we love to serve. Yeah. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. And that's why I think Odihan is such an important, important, important experiment for the arts, for arts organization, for arts performance, for arts presentation, because it is a family, because we are a group of people who are committed to seeing a different interpretation of what this music is presented on a much larger level, you know. Yeah. And that's I think what's that's I think why I started I started the Afro Latin Jazz Alliance and the Afro Latin Jazz Orchestra and the whole thing that I do. I started it because I thought there's a much bigger picture. We demand a place at the table and we're gonna do everything we can to reflect the vastness of this this group of people. Hard to hard to add anything more to that. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, I feel there's there's it's a heartfelt moment. Um, I you know I I have been thinking last couple of days as I, I've been readying my studio for, for reaching out and for presenting myself and 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 uh, and it being sort of, my place of of work in a way my stage my own personal stage. Um, I've been reflecting on that because this used to be this studio that I built in my basement used to be a place, if nothing else, to hide from the world, and now it becomes the place to, to communicate with the world. And and um, and the, it, I realized that one of the most important things that I'm missing, of course, is the feedback, is feeling like you're playing for people who are listening and hopefully enjoying. And there's something, I, 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 I don't have a problem putting it out. I, I realize that there's something in between a performance and a recording studio that goes on in here. But what I'm missing and I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to experimenting with is, is what that feedback, how important that is to, to know that what you do, either because there's a scattered applause in the middle of a song or because you see people swaying and dancing or because you just feel the moment in the room. Um, and I, I'm, I'm just wondering how that's going to happen. I realize people have experience with TV and they know, uh, as we know, our master manipulator president knows how to play to that and, and how to say things. You know, So there's, there's a whole tradition of manipulation through screens being able to look at the camera and all that stuff that we're perhaps not as 
but but it's that warmth coming back that that I'm I'm just wondering how how that's no I I don't think it is coming back and I don't think it'll ever be come come back through the computer screen but here's what I think the ideal if we re-examining the reason why we perform and why we organize and why we create if we examine those settings in this environment when the situation becomes tenable for live performance i think we'll bring back a heightened sense of not only what we get back what we give but that the experience is not hierarchical because here's the thing that's happening i really believe that the hierarchy of performer and spectator is a cultural construct mm -hmm. i really believe I really believe that the idea of people standing in front of other people on the platform doing what they do for uh, affirmation is is so false that it's not funny. So we are now practitioners of our craft doing what we do without having people below us clapping. So I think what's happening is that we're going to take a long, hard look at that construct and i think our performing will become more hopefully more aware of that construct and more intimate and more centered around the idea that we deeply miss the equality of our audiences that we deeply miss the opportunity to join them not to play for them Mm -hmm. Not to stand on a pedestal and show them how clever or gifted or fast we are. But the, that that thing you talk about, that giving back, that's camaraderie. It's collegiality. A lot of people think the arts are ennobling, that we are uh, bringing something to the list. No, we are equally occupying right. a shared space and to me, the, what, what, what we're going to do after we haven't been able to share that space, it might take me two or three months before I stop hugging. Well, I can't hug, but before I stop metaphys metaphorically hugging my audiences. Because I'll be so grateful to see human beings again. you know. And I think that to some degree, that all of this will result in a much more intimate relationship between audience and performer because some of that some of that uh, hierarchical distancing will fall by I'm hoping will fall by the wayside. Well, I think some of it is generational also, I, I, I dare say, because um, for, for myself, I, I always felt like there was a point in the business that you got to that then that opened you up to to the audiences either because you you're on a record label or because you have a manager or and, and your connection with the actual people who show up is not as direct and also when you get up on stage you have this yeah this hierarchy i'm here to perform and you're there to clap or to appreciate um 
and younger performers you know this 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 whole new world of music where people are talking about direct to fan and and have a much more interaction either through social media or even in the creation of the work through fundraising crowdfunding and so forth that perhaps we i, I again personally i'm not as accustomed to doing I'm, I'm i'm more of almost like a business to business person i i go i go to the people who will hire me to put me in front of an audience and i think for me uh, this is creating that that flip and that wait the deal is that we're all in this together because i can't do what i do without an audience and this situation in the lockdown has put me much more in contact with the fact that everybody who who may click on my social media page or who may have heard my records you know i i ha i have to go meet with them and offer something because yes yeah, and i think i mean i think what you're saying is really important but i think there's two kinds of ways to look at this there's the contrivances of the industry which are important agents help managers help somebody has to make sure the lights are turned on in this club or that correct theater. none of that is, is but the idea of you you have to see functions as agents of allowance or agents of deniance i know i'm i'm coining a lot of words today <laughs> that's a good one. but i i think i think the idea is still that there are people who are gatekeepers and see their roles in this industry as gatekeepers and act that way and there are people who are who are really really curious about the music there are people let's put it this way there are people who define the musical experience for their audiences on a finite set of points. And there are people who don't want to define their music for their audiences, but invite them into a larger continuum so that all can equally share in the discovery of new worlds. So I'm going to challenge myself. I'm going to challenge my agents, my managers, my musicians, and anybody of good faith and good cheer and good will to think about, are you a gatekeeper or are you someone who's welcoming? I think this moment where we don't have audiences, our agents aren't controlling our careers, our managers aren't controlling our careers, are the only people who are controlling this moment, baby, are you and I. That's the truth. And for the first time ever in maybe ever, <laughs> the musician has to create what they do for the right reasons. Because there's no limousine, there's no blue note recording contract, there's no uh, airfare to Europe. All there is is you, what you want to put forth, and the people who are receptive to it. One day, I believe things will return to a semblance of what they could become not normal but assemblage to the big to the, uh, there's going to be a point at which we're going to go and say well what have we learned from the democratization of access to a global audience now that we're going to go back into our season's appearance and our subscription series appearance and our festival appearance and our nightclub week or our nightclub days because it's not even weeks anymore let's face mm -hmm. it um but what are we going to have learned from the democratization of access that we're going to bring onto the particularities 
of a single stage. And I think if, 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 you're, if you're all intelligent, the first lesson you'll see is that we are global. Our economies rise and fall globally. Let's face it, for that matter, our health, our survivability rises and falls globally. So all those institutions that practice nationalism and socioeconomic separation, your days are over. You are dinosaurs. You don't exist anymore. You don't even, I mean, you could continue to do what you do and build your endowments and your coffers and whatever you want to do, but you don't exist anymore. You are irrelevant. And the pandemic has showed us that there is a way to understand culture, society, and our role in it as performers in a much bigger picture. That's a big challenge. Arturo, I thank you so much for, for uh, helping us get this podcast off. We've been ground. friends for a long time, Pablo. I just want to tell you how much I love you and how much I appreciate you. I look forward to hearing you. I, I, I've gotten a couple of hints as to what you plan for the podcast concert. I know that um, that you know your creativity is always uh, looking for ways to surprise us and, and bring us joy, and I have no doubt that that will be present. But I know that I have the secret sauce by, by talking to you and hearing what, what you have to say. So, so thank once you, again, sir. thank you very much. Thank you, Pablo. And as you know, we'll, we'll talk soon. We will. Right. Take good care, brother. You too. Thank you very much. Bye. That's it for this week with the Origen podcast. I hope you catch Arturo O'Farrell's concert April 30th, and it will be available after that. And we'll be back next week. May 7th is the next concert in the Origen series. And that is my turn. So I will we'll be back as the artist and the host. And I will have to figure out how to do that. Until then, I'll see you later. 